Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. You know, today we head out to Chicago, Illinois to have a conversation with a world-renowned social media expert, Perry Marshall. He's undeniably one of the world's most expensive consultants, and he's worth it. He'll tell you so. <laughs> Daily, he produces blogs speaking truth into the marketplace and beyond. He has a passion for business and for creation. Perry Marshall, welcome to I Work For Him. So, Perry, how, what's your Jesus story? Well, I grew up... Uh a pastor's kid, um, and so I, I was immersed in it. But I, I do remember when I was four. I, you know, at that in that environment, you hear this stuff all the time. But I remember mm-hmm. walking out of my front yard to the corner of the yard. I was standing on the grass. It was probably ten o'clock at night, and I looked up in the in the sky, and I saw the stars, and I thought, "Oh, that guy they're talking about made all that." And I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, wow. Like, I, I think I remembered something my Sunday school teacher said. And, uh, you know, people don't actually ask me this very very often, but that is that is my first memory of a connection with God. So I guess maybe it's not surprising that I'm interested in where did it all come from. How did you or at what 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 led you to understand that maybe there was a connection with your faith and all of your life, including your work, especially being a pastor's kid? I'm sure you heard a lot from the pulpit about being called to be a pastor, being called to be a missionary. But did you understand a connection of being called to the marketplace? Well, I I had an uncle who was in missions and I had a another uncle who's in missions and I had a grandpa who was a preacher. And so like, I just came from a whole family of them, but where I grew up, there was this insinuation. I don't know that it was explicitly stated, but it was always sort of implied that, you know, if you've got a real calling in life, you're going to be in the ministry. Um, And then everybody else could kind of do the second class jobs if they didn't. Now they never said this, but it always felt that way. Mm-hmm. I never, ever felt called to be in the church. I always felt like um, the the church was full, full of poodles, and I need to be with the Wolverines. Like <laughs> the you know poodles get fed their their water, and they they sit on the couch and they watch Seinfeld reruns with the kids, and and you know they they, they get their food bowl and they they bark at the birds outside the patio window. Uh, and and the wolverines roam wild and free, and they eat what they kill. And I was just more comfortable in the highly competitive business world where, you know, the funny thing about ministry is it's just as competitive as business, and there's just mi- as many contests of, like, who's the greatest. It's just that in the ministry world, they pretend not to be preoccupied with that, and in the business world, they're up front about the fact mm. that they're preoccupied with that. Think of it like this. Um, a, a pastor directly influences people two hours a week. Mm-hmm. A 
CEO directly influences people 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So which is the bigger ministry opportunity? Mm-hmm. And which is the opportunity to build a more sustained culture? Um, so I think entrepreneurs and CEOs are a enormously strategic group of people. They are disproportionately influential. They shape everything. They shape the workplaces that people go to. They, they shape the, the, the businesses that people patronize. They shape the experiences that people have at those businesses. And so um, I, I love what I do. And um, I, I get a chance to uh, express the culture of heaven every day, everywhere I go. Um, I may say what I'm doing, but I <laughs> usually don't have to. It's not necessary. Um, and, and so, yeah, I just, I think there's this false dichotomy and it's everywhere. I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm telling you a new idea. Um, but that, like that division, like I think most people, um, feel like there's some kind of a tension between these two worlds and there's just not. So if you are feeling, I'm curious, this, um, this, you know, idea that, okay, the church is full of poodles and I'm like a Wolverine, but yet you didn't, you didn't rebel. You actually embraced what God had created you to do. Can you speak about that for a minute? Well, all, all pastor's kids are rebellious. Um, I've hardly (laughs) met one that isn't, um, you know, they're, they're cantankerous creatures and they. They have this funny way of kind of crashing through the pinball machine of life, um, and um, so I, I, I did. I didn't have like some big uh, rebellious streak, but uh, but I did. Um, you know, pretty early on, I was doing entrepreneurial things, and um, and and I like I needed to take as big a bite out of life. Hmm. as I could. And, and so, um, but, but one of the things, one of the other things about entrepreneurs is they take a lot of risk and endure a lot of pressure and sweat, a lot of bullets. And I think the entrepreneur journey is absolutely a faith journey. Whether people believe in God or not, you are always, um, you are always creating something that has never existed before <laughs> or stepping out on a ledge where you have no way of guaranteeing that there's going to be anything under your feet. And a lot of us go splat and we go splat repeatedly and we all hit bottom. Um, and I, I find that, that entrepreneurs and business people are generally more receptive to spiritual things than most people because we live on the edge. How did social media, the playing field of really the bastion of the enemy, become your playing field, and how do you help people play there? So I I know a church that's raising $100 million for a capital campaign, and uh, I could be wrong, but... I don't know that there's a big item in that budget for media expense. And I'm an advertising guy. 
um, you can buy eyeballs. I'm, I'm specifically a paid social media expert. Uh, most people think of the free stuff and the viral stuff, but I'm talking about the ability to, to put down money and get in front of eyeballs. And this is an area where kingdom people are woefully light years behind. I'll, now, I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody who is on, on the cutting edge. Um, I got a friend named Marilyn Adamson. She runs a site called everystudent.com. They do a ton of Google advertising and they have, they spend about one and a half million dollars a year on advertising. Their site shares the gospel. And mm-hmm. for every five dollars they spend, somebody fills in a form and says, I just received Christ or recommitted. Wow. Okay. So let me ask you a question. If you had a magic gumball machine, and every time you put $5 in the gumball machine and twisted the crank, a new Christian came out. How many, how many dollars would you put in it? As many as I had. Well, it, that's incredible. How come, how, come they, how come they've only got a million or two million dollars in this thing instead of a hundred or two hundred million? Christians are overwhelmingly behind in this kind of conversation um, because see I don't look I don't look at the internet as this thing that belongs to the dark side I look at the internet as something that's available to everybody and there's all kinds of areas of culture where Christians don't have a voice because they've abdicated it mm. because they're being poodles instead of Wolverines <laughs> Okay, Jesus was not a poodle. Yeah. Jesus was a ferocious guy. Okay, he, he terrified those guys. That's why they crucified him. They were scared to death. What is this guy going to do to our happy little party in our good old boys club here? Right. Our he power was structure. Destroying yeah. it. Right? right? And this is what Christians need to be doing and whether they're doing it in the marketplace or doing it in ministry we need to be smart about media well and we need to be looking at the marketplace as the largest ministry place in the world because we we keep just as as you just said whether we do it in the marketplace or in ministry we need to combine those because we need to be doing it in the marketplace ministry because 65 or 70 percent of the population is never going to a four walls church yet they're exposed to the body of christ each and every day I was taught to be a poodle and not taught to be the Wolverine, and I really think when you read the, the story of the parable of the talents, when you get to the guy who buried his talent, he said, well, you're such a terrible, fearsome master, I was afraid I would lose all your money, so I buried it, so here you go, you got what you gave me, and the guy is mad, okay? Now... Even though we, we know that story and we hear that story, this is exactly what most Christians do. Most Christians do not try to be exceptionally successful. They do not try to be excessively influential. They do not try to be disproportionately powerful. Okay? They just 
obey what everybody tells them to do, and they become unwitting participants in highly corrupt systems in which they have no voice. And then you wonder why everybody's angry and why everybody thinks Donald Trump is going to save us or somebody else is going to save us because, well, Trump, whatever you think about Trump, at least he's a Wolverine. I mean, we could at least agree on that. Okay. And, 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 and Christians abdicate their power and their responsibility because they are not, they are not trying to, like, Christians are not getting jobs in science. Christians are not being entrepreneurs. Christians are not running secular universities. They, they retreat into comfortable little kumbaya zones where all the poodles hold hands and sing songs together instead of being wolverines. Perry, talk to our listeners. You know, maybe they have a fire burning in them, but they've never felt like they had permission to do anything about it and to kind of break out and say, you know what, God created me for something very special, but I'm not doing it. Um, And they can make an impact on the kingdom in in whatever that area is. Talk to our listeners and, and give them some, maybe a couple of ideas or steps that they could take to, to, start seeking what God really wants them to be doing. So I'm giving you permission now. Okay, mm-hmm. and here's a here's a verse for you. Here's a scripture. Isaiah 45, 1 to 3. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, or substitute, like stick your name in there, whose right hand I have taken hold of to subdue nations before him, to strip kings of their armor, to open wide the double doors that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you. I will level the mountains. I will smash the gates of bronze. I will cut the iron bars, and I will give to you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden in secret places that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Now, most Christians, when they... When they get an inspiration or they get an idea or they get swept away by, oh, you know, we could do this or we could do that, what I was taught to do was, boy, boy, you got to second guess that thing. I don't know. That's, that might not be from God. That might, ju- that might just be filthy lucre tempting you. And, and like people, they tell you this kind of stuff and it just holds you down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like the, the irony is the guy that tells you that is actually powerful and influential. He's just threatened by your independence. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to be challenged. We've got all kinds of churches that they don't want people with ideas. They don't want people with initiative. Um, I have been part of three churches in my life that have had catastrophic leadership failures. And in all three cases, it was the inability of the elders or the leadership to rein in a charismatic leader that everybody else was obeying. What's the one thing you see Christ followers that are out there that really love Jesus and they really want, you see them out there in a the marketplace, lots of different levels within the organization. What's the biggest thing you see them struggling with today? So in the story of Gideon, Gideon is, if you read it carefully, it's like he is the lowliest guy in the smallest family in the most insignificant clan. Um, and he's like, so 
are you sure about this guy? Like, you really, you really want me to do this? Like, that's what that fleece thing was, mm-hmm. right? And then I also think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and the whole story of Daniel, where these are the, are the sharp, they're, they're anointed by God, and because of the wisdom that God gives them, they are, they are the sharpest guys in Babylon, and I think, I think the biggest challenge is Christians not owning their authority. Not, and I don't just mean their spiritual kingdom authority. I do mean that. But I also mean their giftedness, their job, their scope of responsibility. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I work for Him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at IWorkForHim.com. Stay connected and receive power pack content when you sign up for our blog at IWorkForHim.com or follow us on social media at IWorkForHim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at I Work For Him and online, IWorkForHim.com.